Okay. First, I want to thank our friends, Lori and Leslie Fellinger, for, for opening up their home for us. Old friends and, and new friends, and Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, a house that's filled with Torah and should continue to be filled with Torah and, 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 and bringing Torah to the house, and more and more Torah should be bringing more brachas to the home, the whole family. And we uh, only simchas. It's been it's been such a long time. Kibbutz Hashem, Yantiv, and different Inyanim. We're sort of winding down the zman. I want to finish the kuntras, to finish the booklet. We've been talking about during this year, learning this this Maimer from Abtsimayr. But we've been talking about Shmiras Hayaladim, of how to watch our children, of how to take care of the children. And <clears throat> the end is really the the. Um, the Iker of the entire countries. Since it's been such a long time, I thought we would, we would review for five, ten minutes, just for five minutes, to start again from ICU Dal, which is on page Yud Zayim. For those of you that, that have the, uh, that still have it, and even though we did a little bit of this over here, but it's important to get back into the Indian. It's been a long time ago, quickly. Does everybody have it? I mean, those who have it, have it. <laughs> Ultimately, the main Shmira, the greatest, most powerful means of watching our children, of taking care of our families, is that the house should be filled, and the yeshiva, should be filled with simcha. Should be filled with light. Should be filled with sweetness, with pleasantness. And we're going to learn now. We're going to understand why is that. It's not just a nice thing. It's not just that. It's not. It's not just that if there's if there's simcha, if there's joy in a house, if there's a feeling of sweetness of mesikus, that it makes it a better house, a more of a comfortable house. But the whole shmir, the whole kiyum of a house depends upon this. And he's going to explain why. We're going to talk about two reasons for this. Why is this? That the avoda of Ahava, when there's tremendous love and there's tremendous simcha in a house, in a family, in a yeshiva, that that brings that that brings the tremendous shmira. Hasiba harishayna. The first reason is Every single Jew has within him a nefesh elokis, a godly soul, which is a portion of Hashem Isbarach himself, which means that we have unbelievable kaychas, the seven midas, which are chesed gvut, fesh, we just now started the the, the, the sixth week of Sphere Saumers, the week of Yesod, and then Malchus. And we have, and and, and the, these are the kaychas that Hashem's gave us, that He infused within us. These are kaychas from Hashem Himself. And then there are the three levels of, of understanding, the three levels of Chabad, Chachma Bin Andas, that Hashem has given us. And there's also the Nefesh Bahamas, the animal soul. 
And there's something within a person, within a Jew, more than anybody else, that could bring a person, that could bring one of us to having the lowest Ritzayinus, to want the lowest, most disgusting things, to have the Shi'ifas and the Muchim, to have yearnings for terrible, terrible things, and Kalachulshus and weaknesses and Taivas, and to desire Dvarm Shvelim, low things, base things. Why is that? That the reason for that is that the, that's the natural longing of a Jew, since he has within him a chelak he's driven, he's driven to want and to desire godly things and to want holy things, more so than any other human being in the world. The Jew has motivation, he has ambition, he has drive, he has a, he has a natural desire to to be misanik, to delight. Of course, in elokus and godliness, that means to delight in Hashem and to delight in serving Hashem. But if that is not filled, if that need, if that need for pleasure is not filled with spiritual pleasure, so then there's nobody that can desire, that can seek physical pleasures as much as a Jew. Because we, we did the piece in the piece that's last time. The need for stimulation, right? We did that at the end? So we were learning from the we learned from the Pizatsna that it's the nature of the human soul to have this tremendous need for excitement, for stimulation. That's the human soul bakhlal in general. The soul of the Jew that comes Mamish from Ganadin, from paradise, has has an infinitely stronger need for excitement and for stimulation. That of course was given to us that we should be excited and we should and we should be motivated in the world of serving Hashem and to be able to seek and to yearn for a devakis and attachment to Hashem. But if God forbid a person, if a Jew doesn't seek that, so then then that need has to be filled with something else. There's a need to be misanig besanugim. If a person doesn't have Shabbos, why is it that most of Shabbos? Why did Saturday night become so popular in America, in Europe, and in, and back in the old days in Persia and in you know Algeria? Uh, Saturday night was nothing big, you know, for, for Jews. It was no big deal. It's not just a cultural thing. When Shabbos is empty, then must be Shabbos. There's a need to fill with something else. For every Shabbos that's that's boring, for every Shabbos that's empty, for every Shabbos that's without a neshama, so then you have Jews that are mishigat to look someplace. What can we do? What can we do Saturday night? We're, I'm not talking about going to a tish. Understand? I'm talking about. You have, I have grown people. We discuss this. That I have, I have a man from the, that comes to Shir and he's not from the shul. He comes to Shir from outside. But he told me that that is well. You know, they're, they're, they're 45. He's 45. The wife is 40, 41, and she still wants to go to a movie every month Shabbos to have children. It's like you know. It's like when do you grow up? It's like what are you teenager? He's 17 years old. You have to go to a movie. You have to go to a show. And if not, she's she's berigus. And because he he wants to go even in slichas. He said she she holds uh, she has a tiny slichas. She says that you owe me uh, a movie from slichas. And then he has to go twice because of slichas. He says isn't slichas on the cheshbon? I mean slichas. Can I get away with it? The Moshe Shabbos is no because we could have gone before slichas. Well, Slich is only 12 o'clock. We could have caught a movie at that day. But he says, but how can I go Slich is night to a movie? So she says, then you have to make it up. I mean, it's hard to believe. A grown person would think like that. So where does that come from? It comes from, from an emptiness. And the Shabbos, if Shabbos is empty, and if a person's heart is empty from Tanugim and Hashem and serving Hashem's box, then there's an unbelievable need to fill it with all kinds of things. And this is what we were talking about last time. That if a person doesn't, if a person doesn't find stimulation in holiness, then the person will seek stimulation in different ways. 
and we'll seek other things to to, to read silly novels, or to or to go to, to watch shows and all kinds of narish kind that a person needs to, to to be able to find some sort of stimulation, excitement. So the, that's what Simei is explaining here. That he says that that choser um, Why is it that a person is seeking all kinds of? Why is it that the person has desires for all kinds of low things? Because what's missing in his life is any pleasure. In holiness, he doesn't have pleasure in holiness. If a child goes to yeshiva and he has no pleasure in learning, he's not excited about yeshiva. So then, so then he's going to look for his excitement someplace else. He's not going to find it. He doesn't find it in, in yeshiva, so he's going to need it to get it some, in some other way. He says, "This is a very deep things." Then they talk about this. It's because it's because the chelik alakomimal, our godly soul, comes from kisek kavod. It comes from it comes from Hashem's throne. It comes mamish from the throne of Hashem's glory. But tachlis who I read lagi bechazar lenehenim is evashchina. So the neshama of a Jew begins from a place of unbelievable excitement and pleasure, which is closest to Hashem. And the ultimate tachlis of the Jewish soul is to return and to delight in Hashem. The b'china shal sabeinu mikuvecha. That's what it means, sab'einu mituvacha, that we should be filled and satiated and excited by Hashem's goodness. That's ultimately where a Jew ends up. It says there's joy, there's tremendous strength and joy together with Hashem. That's where we come from and that's where we're headed towards. When we received the Torah and Har Sinai, there was unbelievable excitement and joy and pleasure in receiving the Torah. The next page. Therefore, we understand that when the neshama is missing as a tanugim akedoshim, when God forbid the neshama does not, en- when, when the neshama of a Jew does not enjoy Yiddishkeit, when the neshama doesn't enjoy Yiddishkeit, and that's what happens to a lot of the Yiddishkeit in America, where it, I'm sure you've heard this many times that Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was very upset because there's a common expression amongst our people: it's hard to be a Jew. Now, Shvetz's Anyid, by our ancestors, meant because, you know, if you walk in the street, you get, you get your brains beaten. It, doesn't, it didn't mean getting up for davening, Shvetz's Anyid. Shvetz's Anyid didn't mean a yontiv, or it didn't mean like, you know, somebody that has to cook four meals and then the whole world is coming to an end. Shvetz's Anyid was because, Shvetz's Anyid meant it was hard to survive as a Jew in this world because of what was perpetrated up, uh, against us by outside forces, not because of Shabbos and Yantiv. That was the sweetness of being a Jew. That was the life of a Jew with Shabbos and Yantiv and, and learning Torah. But in America, what happened is that life became Baruch Hashem better. Thank God it was better. We didn't have so many, we didn't have pogroms and sorrows like we had in the old days. But we still, but the, but the grandparents still took with them that expression of Shvetz's Anyid. It's hard to be a Jew. And Ramesh Feinstein said that children growing up in America hearing Shvetz's Anyid, it's hard to be a Jew. It's hard to be a Jew. Yiddishkeit is not fun. Yiddishkeit is not exciting. Yiddishkeit is a tremendous, tremendous burden and a feeling of, uh, of something that gets in the way of my excitement, that gets in the way of my fun. So, so what's happened is that since, since um, to a large extent, to a large extent, the yeshivas and the homes have not given the children that feeling of the excitement and the joy, this, the pure joy of Yiddishkeit, and it's and it's just you know, curriculum and do this and do that and just going through the motions and, and the routines of observing the mitzvahs so then the new generation is seeking its fun someplace else it's not getting it out of Yiddishkeit 
Not that the tachlis of Yiddish Kesef Yitzchir are fun, obviously. It's not the point. The point is we're servants of Hashem. But, but the privilege, the schus of serving the king is something that should, should fill a person's life with, with joy and meaning. And if it doesn't, then the person is going to be looking for meaning elsewhere. It's going to be looking for joy and for excitement, for simchas achayim and other things. So that's what he explains. Then the person, the, the person begins to imagine, and it's ridiculous, but the person thinks this is true, that there are going to be all different, all other types of ways that I'm going to be able to enjoy my life, that my life is going to be fun, it's going to be exciting. So the person begins to seek fun and pleasure and excitement and stimulation outside of Yiddishkeit, outside of Torah. And we're talking about people who are Orthodox. Obviously, not, he's, he's only he's only he's not giving the shmuz to people who aren't religious. We're talking about within the world of Yiddishkeit, within the world of religion, of people observing mitzvahs. That a person begins to think that he could have a gishmak, some some pleasure and simcha and light outside of Yiddishkeit, which is absurd. A Jew can't. He can't. It's not possible for a Jew to to enjoy to have any pleasure outside of Yiddishkeit. I. If that's true, then it seems like a lot of people having a lot of having a good time. What does that mean? So, so on any kind of a deeper level that's fulfilling, that's enriching, that's meaningful, that's lasting, it can't be. It's all sheker. It's all a lie. All of these tamugim, all of these pleasures that are being sought outside of the yeshiva, outside of Yiddishkeit, it's all sheker v'shav. It's all falsehood. It's all nashkeit. It doesn't last. That doesn't mean anything. Dimyan mamish. It's just an, it's just a, a delusion. It's fantasy. Shevachol hadvar magashmiim, shevachol ataivus vahanos vatanugim marvitzaynis mashloyiyas akulei shaka v'shavet dimyan. All the all of these pleasures, all of these tanugim. Everybody knows that you thought something was going to make you so happy, and this is going to be the most gavaldige thing in the world. But you, you realize it. It's all narishka. It doesn't mean anything when it comes to things of this world. It doesn't. It doesn't add up to anything. And you have people that have all the pleasures of this world and have, God forbid, one child that's not, that's not putting on film, or one daughter that doesn't want to, doesn't want to keep mitzvahs. And what's all the tanugim, with all the fancy houses, and with all the beautiful things, and all the tchotchkeluch, and the, and, and, and the most up-to-date wardrobes, and the most up-to-date you know, uh, bathrooms, and, and, and dining rooms, and so on. So it's not worth anything. It's all doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't last. It doesn't, doesn't add up to anything. Like, like Chazal, when Chazal spoke about things of this world, in the beginning it tastes very sweet, but in the end it's very bitter. completely bitter. Not only that, but to the extent that you think it's going to be so unbelievably sweet in the beginning, that's how bitter it is in the end. There was a bacha that, it's, to that degree, it's bitter in the end. There was a bacha, there was a boy that came to me the other day. He came to a shir, and, and he asked me, um, he, was, he was dressed a little bit, you know, not in the conventional way of yeshiva bacha. And uh, that doesn't scare me at all. That's how I use the dress. So, so I mean, not, not like now, it's a little bit different. <laughs> but, no. So, so, uh, I, you know, he, he, he came up to me, he, and he was very emotional. He said, and it was, it was an Arab Shabbos, and he asked me, would it be okay if I used the mikveh? So I thought, maybe he thought like it was only for women. I didn't, I didn't hop, I, I didn't hop, like, what's he asking? Is it okay to use the mikveh? So I said to him, yeah, it's a men's mikveh. So he said, yeah, but it's okay if I use it. I said, what do you mean? It's, it's for you. It's made for, for the guys. I mean... Why not? 
So this is what he said to me. And I, I'm thinking about this the whole time. This is already since last week. He said, no, I, I don't think you had me a guy like, as low as me in mind when you made the mikvah. I, I, I don't want to make it. I don't want to mess up the mikvah. Maybe if I, I did a lot of bad things. And if I go into the mikvah, then it's going to maybe make it bad for everybody. He had such a thought. And I... And I, and I said to him, I, I, I got very emotional, and I went with him to my office, and I, and I said to him, what are, you, what are you talking about? This, that's not true. And if you could say such a thing, and you're so humble, then first of all, it's, it's bechlal, it's bechlal, not true. And, and, and also, that's exactly why we have the mikvahs, that a person who, who, is, who is broken a little bit should be able to go and get fixed and to, and to start again and, and, to, and, to, and to go into the mikvah. But Arkadekach, that a boy that's maybe 17 years old, maybe 18 years old, should think that he's not even worthy to go into a mikveh. And he's a boy that went to the best yeshivas in the neighborhood. All of them. <laughs> but but it's, it's... So so if you ask him, in the beginning it was Givaldic, it was Givaldic. It was so sweet in the beginning. And now he's just like a, he's like a little old man. A little old man. He's like 17, 18 years old. He's like he's 100 years old. He talks about himself like he's an old man. Like he's like this, like, uh, God forbid, like some sort of a criminal. He's a, he's a, a boy. He's a kid. Hey, what's with the machines? This one machines. Everybody has this nice nagoon in here. It's, a, it's all right. It's all right. Don't rush. Just take care of me. It's all right. It says... You know, I want to tell you something. I was I in Shachris in Baltimore this morning. I was at a Simcha last night, and I noticed something when when, uh, when I was there. It was uh, it was the first time in years that there was no cell phone that went off in shul. During the first time in years that I didn't hear somebody, oh yeah, you're running out with the cell phone, but turning it off. First time in years, and I was thinking, you know, that's that's only out of town in New York. It's already, in New York, really in New York, it's for found. Every shul you go to in New York doesn't make a difference where it's for found. You can't have that. Only you have to go out of town to it. It was just quite a bit. Just happened and said like good morning, and they're like inviting each other for coffee and stuff. It was it was uh, it was crazy. You know? it was really in a good way. So, so he says the more the more the more uh, you think it's sweet in the beginning, the more bitter it is at the end. He says he says which I mentioned last time that he doesn't want even to say this sounds all very innocent he says just eating and drinking and sleeping he doesn't talk about bad things over here he says that a person that's just indulging in these kind of things or shmizing you know getting into talks with friends he's not talking about bad things he says I don't want to mention other things but you think it's going to be so unbelievably enjoyable and sweet but what a person really needs in his life is, is to, that a person should have a feeling of, of what's sweet and what's real and what's good. It's not, he's not going to get that from physical things. He's going to get that from, from real things of Yiddishkeit and terror with his family and so on. He says, I'm not talking about the ba-, and also he's not talking about the basic things that a person needs in order to live. Obviously, a person eats and drinks and sleeps. It's not a problem. And, and Hashem doesn't want us to be deprived of any of those things. But it's indulging. Meaning having more than it's necessary. It used to be that there were things that were considered to be luxuries, and nowadays people think of it as being necessity, that we can't live without it. How can we live? We can't live without it. 
When we were in Etzisrael, we managed that whenever I've been in Etzisrael and I lived there for some years, we managed without cars. We managed. Yeah, we slept and you had to carry and a little bit and going on. Yeah, you managed. If you had to get somewhere with a bus or with a taxi, but we were able to survive. And it's, it's unimaginable. It's, nowadays it's unimaginable. Certainly, he says one has to eat and drink and sleep enough so that he should be able to feel rested and he shouldn't be, you know, uh, get angry, meaning that he shouldn't have be agitated because he's not sleeping enough. Means more than you need. It says in the Pasuk, in Shema, we say it every day, Yishamru Lachem. You should guard yourselves. So the Tzadikim say that it means, Lishmo Esha Lachem. Shalzeh Yetzim Afata. Lachem means that there are things in life that God told us that it's for us, that we can enjoy. The eating and drinking and sleeping and so on. That Hashem said that we can enjoy. It's Lachem, I gave this to you. And I want you to, I want you to take care of yourselves. But over here, he explains from the Tzadikim, that here the Yetzirah comes and says, that your lachem is really much bigger than you think it is. It's not. You don't need that much lachem. Like people say, I have to get. Even I know there's all kinds of scientific studies about this. You know, and everybody always happens. Everyone always happens to be the the, the, the one that's part. You know, that was the uh, in that study. So there are people that they need to have. Everybody says I need to have 10 hours of sleep and to have 12 hours of sleep and and I need to have. You know, all these things that a person. Again, needs to have, and a person can't get can't get by. You know how much a person would be able to accomplish if they would only sleep five hours or six hours. And some people physically can't, but but usually people who are lazy are always the ones who physically can't. But it's a question of pushing oneself. There are some people maybe who talk and I'm talking about somebody who's healthy. A healthy person should be able to have uh, should be able to should be enough to be able to sleep a few hours and not to have to sleep for ten hours and twelve hours. And people sleep on Sunday, Christ, till 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 love. And Shabbos morning, evening, right, the men have to go to shul, and even there's a whole struggle to go to bed early for Friday night. And but the women can sleep till ten, eleven o'clock. You know, not that I'm saying people they should enjoy themselves, but really the question is how much does a person need and what could a person accomplish, and and why is it that a person needs to sleep so much? If if everybody's healthy and well, why does a person need to sleep so much? What's the whole meaning of sleeping? So, people talk it into themselves that the lachem, that their lachem is a very is with a capital lamed. That was that they need a lot. So that's why the Torah says Hishamu lachem. You should guard your lachem. Be careful with your lachem. Because it's very easy for the Yitzhar to tell you that you need a tremendous amount of lachem. Rebnachim said a shocking thing once. Many of the things he said are very, very amazing. And he once said that he believes that there's such a thing as Eilam Hazeh. He believes there's such a thing as this world. Why does Rabbi Nachman believe that there's such a thing as this world? Because Chazal said it is, that, that, that it exists. That's why he believes in Olam Hazeh. Not like us. We believe in Olam Haba because Chazal said so. Rabbi Nachman said he believes that the only reason he believes in Olam Hazeh is because they talk about this, such a thing as Olam Hazeh. If Chazal say that there's such a thing as this world, so Rabbi Nachman says, so what am I going to do? So I believe that it exists, that there's such a thing as this world. Rabbi Nachman said, I don't see any Olam Hazeh in this world. He says, I never saw it yet. 
the Glasgow says, said, All I see are people that are that, that they thought they had Ma'ilam Hazar, they thought they, that this world was Gavaldic, was terrific, but then afterwards it turned out that it was horrible, it was miserable. So he says, I never really saw Ma'ilam Hazar. I heard about it, but show me anybody that really, who really, really put himself with Ma'ilam Hazar and really indulged in Ma'ilam Hazar and really, really sought his happiness in Ma'ilam Hazar. Rabbi Nachman said, I'd like to see anybody that ever found it. I don't, I don't know anybody that ever found it in this world. Anybody. So Rabbi Nachman said, I, don't believe, I never saw Ma'ilam Hazar. I only heard about it, I believe it, but I don't see people who actually are enjoying this world. I don't see people who actually have an ilm hazeh, meaning that 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 all that that ilm hazeh is their entire world, and that it provides them with happiness and joy and fulfillment. Rabbi Nachman says, I never saw such a thing. I believe it if they say this in ilm hazeh, but I never saw it. He says, he said, Rabbi Nachman said, all they see is sadness. Kulay atzvus. Right? Everybody is jealous. They think that if they would be like the people, you know, on television and and, and the movies, then they would be happy. And, and all of us know, and any intelligent person knows. And even those people, because all those people are reading all the magazines, so they know themselves that all those actors and actresses are the most unhappy, miserable, broken people in the world. They know that. And still they think, if only I could be like this, like this f- famous lady, this famous guy, or this, uh, this bull, but then I would be happy. But, but everybody knows, those people know more than us, because they're always reading about these people. Like they have all these dumb magazines. Well, they have all these interviews that are interviewing these people, and, 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 and then they have all these biographies. And we know that all of these actors and actresses that we thought that were so that were so cautious, that were so that were so that they had they had an ilm hazeh. No one could ever have an ilm hazeh like you know like whatever like 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 uh, like like uh, I don't want to start saying names of Tameim, but Tameis was not necessary. But no one could ever have. No one could conceive. How could you have? How could you have a bigger Eilum Hazer than you know than Betty Davis in her time or Elizabeth Taylor? I mean, she might still be alive. I don't know if she's alive. But 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 how could anybody have a bigger Eilum Hazer? A bigger Eilum Hazer? And everybody's thinking because you read about the Eilum Hazer. This actress has this actress has Eilum Hazer that that they have four houses and a million girlfriends and all these and all these different everything and planes and boats. That's an Eilum Hazer. I mean, that's an unbelievable Eilum Hazer. It's a tremendous and then and then when you and then every single time you then you find out and anybody's intelligence knows even while they're alive but much much more so after they die when people start to talk and so on like this Princess Diana right so everybody thought that she was like the Eilam Hazah she was just a broken 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 little girl Rahmanis with what with nothing an empty person Tzabrachim and everybody wanted to be like her and people know that it's all it's all Shavashek it's all a lie it's kuliatzvus, Rabbi Nachman says. It's it's total sadness. Kuliatzvus. These people they're completely sad. Kuliatzvus. Ra, mar, bed and bitter, chayshach and darkness and adzius, just physical things. But how come And everybody testifies about it. How come This has all been documented a million billion times. Call me shirach tam tam tanugim gashmi. Any person who has had, who has tried to have the, these pleasures and to taste these physical pleasures, may each a cold kulei dimin v'chayshek. Talk to any bal shuva. Talk to any bal shuva bal shuva that was uh, that that, that uh, was indulging in the early part of his or her life. And all the religious people are thinking, boy, 
I wish I had some some uh, I wish I had some opportunity to do those things and you know like God wouldn't punish me. It was my mazel. I was born to a religious family. And I can't. I, but why can't I be like a balchuva? Like the balchuva sits down. He's you know like you have some balchuva Friday night at the table and he says yeah well you know all I did for the first 25 years of my life is I was just running around and. The, and with uh, you know with girls and I had a thousand girlfriends and I was doing this and I was doing that and uh, you know I was in Hawaii and I was in, uh, I was in the, all the Orient and I and I was, and and all like the from guys at the table look. <laughs> and then and then like then they wake up and they say oh well thank God you came to the truth now and you know, it's really good that you're from you know and you're happy like us. See, so, so the guys, like the from guys at the table that come from the from homes, they're thinking, wow, this is like, this guy's out of his mind. Why, do, why would he want to be like us? All I'm dreaming about for, for my 25 years is to be like him, but I can't because of my father, my mother, my grandparents, Grace, Auschwitz, Matthaus, and who knows what. And this guy, and this guy's running around for 25 years, having a good time, and now he says, and he, he's giving me a speech about how this is this my whole life is worthless. I, I, and he just he just named for me like 50 girls. He's, and this guy, this poor from kid, says he never got a date in his life, and he can't, and, and, he, and even if he would, he wouldn't know what to say. And and this guy, like he had this whole 25 years of running around, and he's telling the from boy, my life is worthless and I'm empty and I'm garnish, I have nothing. And all I have now that I came to Yiddishkeit, that I have that I have a Shabbos with you wonderful people here that took me for Shabbos and Nabuchon, all the from guys that are sitting on the table are, are melting with jealousy. That if they could only, if they could only. And if they could, you know, not, nobody wants to get punished, and nobody wants to if I could only, because they're not, not because not only are these Balachuf are not in trouble. But all they hear is speeches that God loves them more than anybody. And the poor from kid is thinking, you hear this? God hates me. My whole life I didn't do any of this stuff. I'm just dreaming of it. And God hates me. And the Balchuva, he did all this stuff and God loves him. And the, like, how does that work out? It's unfair. It's mama's not fair. I'm telling you, I talk, I talk to kids about this stuff. It's not fair. What kind of sense? It's not right. That, that Why couldn't I become from later? And the and the Balchuva is crying about the years of doing those things. And why why couldn't I find out about Yiddishkeit earlier? And this is and this is the this is what we have going on. It's it's the craziest thing. That's what that, so that's what he's explaining. That may, anybody will testify. Any Balchuva will tell you that it's that that whole thing before was dimin. It was all fantasy and darkness and garnish. Nothing. But when it comes to Ruchnius, now the reason obviously those from that the from boys those from boys are feeling so jealous is because they Yiddishkeit is, they don't feel the pleasure that the Balchuva feels in, in his ear. The Balchuva is so thrilled with the Yiddishkeit, he's so excited about being from. It's so meaningful and so deep and so exciting. But the but the but oftentimes the ones who are raised in the system they don't feel that they don't feel that pleasure. They don't feel that Yiddishkeit was anything except the burden and all. And and the truth is that really Baruchnius, when a Jew lives in with Ruchnius Bahamas with spirituality, is a hippoch mamish. It's mamish the opposite. In other words, what? That in Ruchnius anybody will tell you that it, that when a person really, really was into their Yiddishkeit, that it was the most pleasurable thing, that it was the most wonderful time in life. It was the most exciting time in life. Certainly when you're religious, or you want to be, become... So there's certainly... There's a cloud that all beginnings are difficult. 
Bechol Inyan, Bavadis Hashem, Bukrochem, Lavra Hashcholis Koshis, and whenever you're trying to serve Hashem, it doesn't only mean, Kol Hashcholis Koshis, when Chazal said that all beginnings are difficult, it didn't only mean when you start becoming religious. It means when you're starting in anything, like now you, when you're starting to work on Davin, when you're starting to work on Shabbos, you're starting to work on meaning on the Indian Shabbos, keeping Shabbos, you're starting to work on, 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 on what? On, on your Midas, on a certain Midas. Kalas chalas kashas means every single day. When you're starting something, when you're trying something and serving Hashem, it's always going to begin with difficulty because it's because it's it, because it's it's, it's it's difficult because it's real. All of life is like that. Anytime you want to go from one level to the next level, it's called it's called a beginning. So beginning doesn't just mean becoming religious. It means anytime you're trying to go up to to another level. Anytime you want to go to another level, there's always like an empty space between the rungs of the ladder, right? That's the, the ladder, the, the rungs of the ladder aren't right next to each other. There's always an empty space, and it's always scary and painful. In between those rungs, it's very scary and very painful. That, that, that's what Chazal said. But if you get through the beginning, and you break through that, and you get to the next level, it's unbelievable sweetness. It's unbelievably rewarding. We're learning how pick your others. And Chazal taught us that every Jew has a chalik in the world to come. The truth is that every Jew has an oilam haba. Oilam haba doesn't mean that God wants us to wait for any to have pleasure and to enjoy our Yiddishkeit when, when we're dead. It doesn't mean after 120. It means that, that with Ruchnius, with Yiddishkeit, you could enjoy Erlam Hazel also. There's a famous story that I'm sure that you've heard. Uh, it's, it's, it's been going around for the list for, for quite a few years. That Rabbaran Kutler, Zechat Sadiq Al-Rahi, was the Rashid of Lakewood. Rabbaran was the God of Hador. That there was, a, uh, there was a young man who had been learning in Lakewood Yeshiva for some time. He was a married fellow. And um, and it came to a point where it came to a point where the family was pulling him into the family business. That uh, he was learning for a while to come to the family business, and he came to a baron and he asked a baron a very good question. I mean, he told a baron that he was thinking of going into the family business, and a baron said, well, "What's what's the matter?" So so the so he said that he said, "Rabbi, doesn't it say doesn't it say in the Gemara?" That if somebody supports yeshivas, supports the learning of Torah, that he has an equal share in, in Eilam Haba, right? In the world to come, in the next world, if you support learning, if you pay for yeshivas, and you build yeshivas, so that you have a, you have an equal portion with the one who's studying and who's learning in the yeshivas. So, with God's help, I, you know, our family has a good business, and I would like to be able to support yeshivas. So I'll, I'll also have, uh, you know, an equal share in the world to come. So Aaron Cutler said in the, in the most innocent way, that's true of a of Ulam Hazer, what are you going to have in this world? But you're not going to have anything in this world. I mean, what, what he's, he was coming to say, uh, for the first time in my life, I'm going to be able to move out of my apartment, I'm going to be able to buy a big house, have a couple of cars, have, have my wife and kids going to be able to have nice clothing, right? Because he's going to, he's going to go into the family business, not going to be sitting in a anymore. And, Rabbi, and he says to Rabban, isn't it true that I'm going to have an equal portion in the next world? And Rabban said, in the next world for sure, but what, what are you going to have in this world? And the guy's thinking, what am I going to have in this world? So Rabbi says, without, without sitting by a Gemara and without, without uh, having the pleasure of learning, of learning a, a new, a new, you know, a new tesis, a new, a new, a new chasam I mean, what, what, what pleasure could you have in this world? And that's the way he looked at reality. 
Because anybody that's ever really, really put himself into learning knows that, that there is no greater pleasure. That's why there's such a uh, problem with communication between parents and children, the boys and the girls. That oftentimes, when they come back from their experience of being away from everything for a year or two, and they're in Eretz Israel, especially with the boys, because you know the nature of the base medrash learning, which is very intense, uh, and they want to continue on. And, and I just had this conversation with a parent last week that that um, there was a, during during Pesach there was a, this family went to Florida went to Miami and the kid the boy came back from Israel for the he's in, he's in yeshiva and he came back to go and he went with his parents to Miami and he didn't want to leave the hotel room he didn't want to go to, he didn't want to go to the, to the boardwalk you know, he was just learning. He went to the meals and everything, but he was learning in the room, and he wanted to sit and learn. And the mother called me up, if I could please talk to him. I never know what they're thinking, but <laughs> but to please to please talk to him that it's not normal. He should, he's a young boy, and that that the because she wanted so that the rabbi wouldn't you know would say that it's it's okay, so that I should you know because he because like to give it a hefshir, so so it's it's okay, and you know so she called me up. So I said, well, what's wrong with me sitting there? I asked her, like, what, what's wrong? So she said, well, I want him to have fun. So he, he, he was working very hard the whole year in, in Yerushalayim, and I want him to enjoy himself. I said, did you, did you tell him that, that you would like him to enjoy himself? So she said, yes. I said, what did he say? He said that he's enjoying himself learning. So I said, okay. So, he's, so if you want your son to enjoy himself, he said he's enjoying himself, so you should be happy mother. So she said, how could that? How could he be enjoying himself just sitting in the room? I said, he probably thinks he's probably wondering how you could enjoy yourself sitting on sitting on the boardwalk, and you're sitting on the boardwalk and wondering how could he enjoy himself sitting in the room. So I would I would tell him to respect his parents' way of enjoying themselves, and that you should respect his way of enjoying himself. But here's where you have a tremendous breakdown in communication, since to a large extent the parents have no idea what that means to to be in love with a page of Gemara. What does that mean, Bechla? Uh, a man might have had it 30 years ago, you know, 20 years ago. The women didn't have that in yeshiva. What does it mean a page of Gemara? What does it mean to finish a Gemara or whatever? They haven't experienced that. So, in her mind, her poor little boy is locked up in a room and he's miserable. And he's saying, Ma, I'm happy. This is what I want to do. I, I, I'm enjoying it. So, so, so she's worried that he has all kinds of psychological issues, and that he was brainwashed, and that he's and he's and he's repressing this thing, and really he just wants to go out and talk to the girls and be out there on the boardwalk and be, you know, and 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 he's repressing this, and it's going to come out later in life, and he's going to have problems, and he's going to have to go for therapy because he's repressing. Well, so no, he's, he's, he enjoys learning. How could somebody enjoy sitting by a book when when everybody's at like you know living up on the you know on the boardwalk? Having a great time, you know, meeting everybody that they that they've been avoiding in the city, you know, and it's how can how can you how can you possibly not enjoy that? So, so he so the boy enjoys it, but the parents don't have how could that be? That there's no greater oinig, there's no greater talmud. The greatest pleasure in the world is to learn, and the greatest pleasure in the world is to be in control of one's yitzhar. You know how good this boy feels that for the first time in his life, he, he knows that he has control over his eyes and he has control over his thoughts. And he's beginning to feel like a like a mensch, and the mother's trying to drag him back out to the boardwalk and say the only way you'll be happy is if you see the girl in the bathing suit. And he's saying, I'm happy being this way. I want to be this way. She can't believe it because what kind of normal, healthy, 16, 17 year old kid could possibly want to be to be in a room with a, with an old book? She doesn't understand it. Whereas our grandmothers and great grandmothers saw that there was nothing more precious on earth 
than, than, than a, a boy that wants to sit and learn. And that's, and that's how they grew up. They grew up hearing from their mothers that there's nothing more precious than our son being a Talmud Chacham and sitting and to bring, the, to bring a lunch to the base Medrash. To bring a lunch to the... To, my, 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 father, my father told me that when he was... In, that before the war he was learning, he remembers, that his mother didn't, told him not to waste time. Not to waste time by coming home for lunch because he lived in, he lived in the same city where the yeshiva was. So my, and it was right, it, wasn't, it was only a few blocks away. And my grandmother, Al-Sham, said to my father, don't... You, you stay in the yeshiva, look. and she would bring him. She would bring him to the yeshiva. She would walk in the street and carry and bring him the food. And he said, "You just sit and learn. You just stay and learn." And if he would come home, if he would come home uh, uh, a half hour earlier or something, you know, whatever it was, twelve thirty in the morning, one o'clock in the morning, then then my, then my grandmother would say to my father, "Well, how do you expect to be a tamachacham like this? What are you dragging around? What are you doing? Not not." Uh, how could how could it be normal for a boy to be able to be in yeshiva and this? But this is what the kids are growing up with, and it's bad enough that there are million distractions on the top of everything. The parents who gave them life in this world and are supposed to bring them to the next world, the parents themselves are trying to draw them away from from it. And they always say, it's always with the introduction of the sentence, "Of course, I'm very proud of you that you're learning." It always starts like that, and then after that, it's downhill. <laughs> of course, I'm very, of course, I'm very proud that you became from. I'm very, very proud of that. But then after that, it's like you know the whole speech about, and you have to be normal, and you have to be in this world, and and look at the uh, look at the, the boy down the block. You see, he learns, but he's also you know he goes out and he's got he goes out and he's got his friends and he's, you know, all these these speeches that are coming from from that are coming from some novel, you know, from some some silly novel that you buy, you know, in the airport. It's not from anything real. It's not Irish guy. Some narishkeit and the emptiness, and they think that the only tanugim that their son could have, the only pleasure they could have, is the same pleasures that they have. And the son of Hashem is holding by a different place. He has, and other things that give him excitement, that give him meaning. And, and, a, and a parent can't chap. How could that be? How could it be? The same father that can't that can't stand davening for more than ten minutes straight without talking to somebody. He can't understand how his kid would want to go at six o'clock in the morning to a shir to go to daven. He can't understand. There must be something wrong with my kid. The, or the rabbis made him a sugar something. So this, this is what we're living with, because what the CMA says here is that when it says when Chazal said every Jew has every Jew has a chelik in Elam Haba, he says look what he says on the left hand column like ten lines down he says mashuk tzas el chayid as a yesh gam Elam Hazer he says anybody that's a little bit of an el chayid of a God fearing Jew knows how wonderful Yiddishkeit is even in this world to be a Jew not just when I'll be 120, it'll be good for me. That used to sustain our our ancestors. It's not it's not working with our kids anymore. Try to tell a kid nowadays, don't worry. You don't go out. You don't go anywhere. You don't have internet. You don't have television. You don't have girlfriends. When you'll when you'll die, it'll be gewaltig. I mean, that's basically what they hear that they're picking up in the yeshivas. That's what they're getting in the yeshivas. Because if they don't see this gewaltig in this world, they don't see it. And the yeshiva is not filled with ahava, with love. And the home is not filled with Yiddishkeit. It's not with the, the seekers, with sweetness, and with singing, and with excitement. And so then, so then basically they're told that this is something that if I do it, at the end I get a prize. So what am I? I'm going to wait until I, uh, I die to get something. I'm not even sure. Who knows what's there and what's not there. Over here. Over here. They say, what's certain is certain. And, and if there's a television, or there's this, and there's a girlfriend, or the boyfriend, so that's batoach, what am I going to do? 120, they're going to give me something, I get a prize. Some, and they tell you, what, what kind of prize? Some spiritual thing, like you, you, you have closeness to God. So he's like, what do I need that for? Shkayach, I'm going to closeness to God. You tell me closeness to God is better than my girlfriend? It doesn't happen at all, what are you talking about? 
what, 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 what are we talking about? So I said the other day, so it was one of the one of the yeshivas. They, they, somebody came to me from one of the yeshivas. They want can I help to develop a with them a curriculum for davening, that with the kids that teach them about davening. So I said, what, are you kidding? What do you want to talk to them about davening? See so that I was crazy. He said, well, I would like we'd like to improve the davening. I said, they don't believe in God. What do you want to talk to them about? What do you mean davening? Do you want to talk about about who are they davening to? What do you mean about davening? I said, if they knew who God was, if they had a shaykhist to God, maybe they want to talk to him. So you want to develop like a curriculum for davening? There's no, where's God bechlal in yeshiva? Or what? And the rabbi talks about it. This is, if, you're going to, if you want them to daven, you want them to feel excited about God, that they would want to talk to him and have a shaykhist, and you have to explain what does it mean to be a Jew bechlal? And what is Yiddishkeit? And what is Ruchmiyas? And what does it mean the 13 fundamental principles of being a Jew? But you think you're going to take some kid off the street and, and make them some fancy curriculum that you could show the board, of course. Everything's to show the board. About how, about, about how we have a curriculum for Tvila. And then you put out nice books about Tvila. And you give out to the kids and the kids come home and the parents, the parents don't feel so bad paying tuition if they see these things. So then that's going to help the kid to become a davener? The kid doesn't believe in Hashem. I mean, whatever. There's some old guy with a long beard or something. doesn't know what it means. So, so the, the Rebbe has to talk to the kids about, about Amunah, about Yiddishka. What does it mean? Who is the Varsham? What is the Varsham? What's in the Shama, Bechla? Before davening? How do you expect them to daven? They don't know who they're talking to. So, a person, a person who, who is, a person who's working on his Amunah, and a person who's, who's learning, so, he, he, he his Olam Hazer is a whole different Olam Hazer. His Olam Hazer is completely different. I, the other the other day with the I, the I mentioned to the men the, to the chaver that that once Moshe Feinstein was walking with a, one of his students they had they were going to do some mitzvah and they go they, it says in the sefer they were going through a horrible neighborhood a very very dangerous neighborhood and the young man was was shaking in fear and Rav Moshe was perfectly fine and the bacher the young man asked Rav Moshe said Rabbi Aren't you, aren't you afraid we're in great danger? So Moshe Feinstein said, we're going, to, we're going to do a mitzvah. And I accepted upon myself that I might get killed. And, and I'm prepared to face Hashem. So he said, I'll, I'll, so I'll face Hashem, as he said. So, what's this? so then he said, die, give me nine. Like, why should I be nervous? I'm prepared. My whole life is I'm preparing to face Hashem. And if I have to now, I'll face him. And, you know, I'll go to the Besden and, and, and that's it. So that person's Eilam Hazar, Moshe Feinstein in this world wasn't walking around shaking and sittering and being afraid about every single thing, what's going to be, what's going to be, what's going to be. And how am I going to manage and what's going to be. The Eilam Hazar is a different Eilam Hazar. A person who lives with Bitochem, who trusts in Hashem. The Eilam Hazar is a different Eilam Hazar. Forget about Eilam Haba. Forget about Eilam Haba. A person who doesn't have any trust in Hashem doesn't even have Eilam Hazar. He doesn't have Eilam Hazar. Every single every single minute of his Adam Hazer, he's looking to see what's the latest stock prices. It doesn't happen Adam Hazer. He can't even enjoy he can't even enjoy his fish in his chalm. Because he has so many digas, he's so overwhelmed with worries and nervous so where's his Adam Hazer Everybody's that's what Rabbi Nachman said, everybody's talking about Adam Adam Hazer. So Rabbi Nachman said, Where? Who? I never saw anybody with an Adam Hazer. Kalisalam doesn't mean when you die. That's true. Of course we have next in the next world. Means an That's what he's saying. A God-fearing Jew that lives with Yiddishkeit, with a geshmak in Yiddishkeit, he has no ilam haba in this world. He tastes ilam haba. In this world, in this world, he has no ilam haba. 
He feels the sweetness, the pleasantness that there is in learning Torah and living as a Jew. Learning Torah and living Torah. There's such an unbelievable sweetness in that. Your, your entire your entire Elam Hazeh is a different Elam Hazeh. Talk to anybody that, that wasn't religious and became religious, or somebody that was a little bit religious and then that Mamish tried to work on it and grow in it. I don't mean just that they started to, you know, to drink only Chal Yisrael. I'm talking about someone that really worked on themselves in Yiddishkeit. And they'll tell you that it's a different Elam Hazeh. Elam Hazeh is better. People go crazy to go after the Torah. People would kill, would kill themselves to get more Torah if we knew how sweet it was, if we would realize. This is the most powerful Kayach of the Yet Sahara that a person has this fantasy, that a person imagines that, 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 that it's not Torah, it's not Yiddishkeit that's going to give him pleasure, but it's this world that's going to give him pleasure. He says, that the Yet Sahara is in the word Latsur, and Latsur means to create, to form, to make an image. The Yet Sahara is the most creative power in the world. Because what does it mean to create? It means that there isn't something, and now there is something. There's nothing as creative as the Yetzirah, because the Yetzirah is nothing, and it makes it seem like it's something. The Yetzirah is the biggest Yetzirah, it's the most creative force of the Yetzirah, because really, the Yetzirah comes along and tells you about nothing, that it's the most gewaltige thing, and people believe it. And it's nothing. But it creates the impression that it's something, that there's nothing that's more something. And it's all nothing. This is a Kaya it's just imagination. This is the first point he said. This is the tragedy. That if a person, if a person is missing in his life the tanug, the pleasure and the joy and the sweetness of Yiddishkeit, then he's going to look for that sweetness and that pleasure and the joy elsewhere. Now, if you look at these, this page that you have, the two sides, look at side one. We didn't read this last time, did we? No, I just gave it to you. We didn't read it. Let's, let's, this is from an article I mentioned to you at the end last time. By an, an obviously a very close of a woman by the name of Yael Unterman. And uh, the whole article is murdered because I, I sent it to a few principals to, 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 to read. It's, it's unbelievable. There's just a taste of it. I, mean, I, can, get, I can get to the whole thing, Mitzvah. So look where it says Rebellion and Seeking on page one. Rebellion and Seeking. In today's world of endless lifestyle options, people increasingly do not follow their community identity automatically. Rather, they often undergo a drawn-out process of trial and error in identity formation before settling down. In the Orthodox world as elsewhere, many teenagers and young adults find parents and religious educators unprepared for such turbulent processes. This leaves both sides feeling alienated, and some teenagers who act out through rebellious behaviors have therefore been labeled at risk. The destructive nature of these activities has finally attracted the Orthodox community's attention to this population within its bastions, and this is a positive step. Left unspoken of, however, is the existence of a second group at risk, those who also feel lost, 
but because they are more refined, introverted, or simply afraid to keep it bottled up deep inside. There it progressively eats away at them, and some are only vaguely aware of these feelings until they burst violently through into consciousness and wreak havoc. This I see all the time. The parents say, I don't know what happened, all of a sudden, my kid like... People think like this. People understand that if a kid shows signs of being like an at-risk type and being rebellious from the time that he's a little kid, that maybe it's following through. But then you have the vast majority, not like that at all, the vast majority of the kids are living lives of quiet desperation, especially the boys. Because with the girls, they have other things that are exciting in school and, you know, whatever. But with the boys, if they're not, if they're not so good in Gemara, if you don't like the Gemara, so they're, so they're sitting away with these, with these, the ones who are more refined, the more introverted, they don't go, like, right out, like, doing, doing crazy, crazy, you know, uh, anti-establishment stuff. They, they, they're just living with this bottled up, and at some point, they just they can't take it anymore. In order to find solutions to the entire at-risk population, solutions that are not just reactive but preventative, attacking the root and not just the symptoms, and most importantly, attending to stresses below the surface too, we should closely examine what causes these feelings of alienation. I contend that when sensitive, reflective personalities begin a complicated journey of personal and religious seeking, a term I will use to cover the act of intensely questioning and searching, unwilling to put up with half-truths or the other people's choices, and in this vulnerable state encounter a restrictive and uncaring environment with insufficient space and support for such processes, the result is anguish, grief, and hatred of self and others. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. That most of the chervah that, that are going off the Darach Hashem Yerachim, they're very sensitive people. They're sensitive, reflective people that want to know the deep, that are looking for an oinig, they're looking for something meaningful, they're looking for delight, they're looking for pleasure, they're looking for something, not just, we see them doing crazy things, so we think, ah, they're a bunch of empty, it's not true. The parents, I find, are generally, are generally much more empty than the kids. And the parents are, are, are living, you know, uh, respectable lives, and, the, and many of these kids are no longer living those lives. But it's not because they're not, it's not because they're not, they're not sensitive and not reflective. That's what she's writing. They're seeking, but but uh, they find a restrictive, uncaring environment with insufficient space and support, and the result is anguish, grief, and hatred of self and others. This is the root of the alienation, an environment that is emotionally defective when it is intellectually excellent. A Hasidic master warned long ago, he's talking about the Piyazetzna, the Eish A Hasidic master warned long ago, that an imbalance of the intellectual and emotional f- uh, faculties in religious life will leave a vacuum that will force the soul to search for emotion anywhere, even in sinful behavior. That's what we learned. These young seekers do not want to be deliberately self-destructive. They simply wish to explore all facets of their identities, and their nonconformist behavior is possibly the healthiest response to a suppressive environment, indicating autonomy, authenticity, and active control. I must stress how important this point is. A person who continues to be passively molded runs a risk of becoming depressed, paralyzed, or God forbid, suicidal. To any argument that these seekers are just a few overcomplicated students who are not worth our effort, I would first remind us that the Chazon Ish forbade yeshivas to give up on any student, ordering the Rosh Hashiva himself to learn with difficult students. When the Rosh Hashiva went to Chazon Ish to complain, and there was this boy that he had to throw out, the Chazon Ish says, why don't you try learning with him first before you throw him out? The Chazon Ish said to the Rosh Hashiva, why don't you learn with him and why don't you take him home? Why don't you try learning to take them home? Yeah, kids are being thrown out of yeshivas left and right. If there's a school in the neighborhood that was what they were, the girls, what was going on. And I asked, did you ever, ever, ever invite one of these girls to your house? Ever. Did you ever invite a girl? Is there ever such a thing to talk to her? 
principal never spoke to her once. Only knew her, knew her name because she, she got the trouble and was looking on a page and the teacher says she's a big girl. You ever even talked to her? You ever, you ever sit and learn with her or ask her what's on her mind? I mean, this is, this is a the left and right. They're being thrown out all over the place. And he said to the Rashid, why don't you sit and learn with the kid? Where I was a teacher for many, many years in the school in, in, in an amazing place, in Ezra Academy, where I was teaching there. So I, I, I would sometimes be there very late because I gave classes sometimes late at night. And I, and I would see, school, school was over 5 o'clock, and I would see, I would see the principal rubber fellow sometimes at 10 o'clock at night sitting in his office with his arm around the boy, the most difficult boy in the whole school. That's, that's, those are, and he made those kids, and I know who they are now. <clears throat> wasn't uh, it, it wasn't you're out with the most difficult ones and they were in his house for Shabbos too after that and 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 that's how you that's how you these are these are kids that are that are they're not they're not conforming they're having difficulties and they're seeking something real and they're not finding it in the Yiddish kite that's being given to them and instead of instead of teachers being introspective and teachers asking themselves, maybe I'm not giving something to this kid that I should be giving. And instead of the parents saying, maybe my Yiddishkeit is not is not giving any joy to my child. Instead, the kid is the one that always gets smashed over the head. And the kid the one, is the one that's told a million times, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. And in truth, the kid is the only one that's looking for the truth. The only one that cares about the truth. Having established this, I would further make a twofold reply to such a contention. On the one hand, even if it is correct that they are fewer in number, such students have the potential for greatness. They are often the deepest, most original, sensitive, and truth-seeking. And if we can only keep them within the fold, they will provide sorely needed imaginative leadership for our communities. From Avram, through Moshe Rabbeinu David and Rabbi Akiva, our greatest heroes have lived lives of change and truth-seeking. Could you imagine David and Malachim and Yeshiva nowadays? They'd throw them out in a minute. They would throw them out. Rabbi Kiva wouldn't have gotten accepted to any yeshiva. Rabbi Kiva wouldn't have gotten accepted. He wouldn't have passed any tests. He didn't work for 40 years. He wouldn't have gotten accepted to any yeshivas. There's a, there's a, there's a very close of a psychologist in Muncie that, 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 that uh, he, he, he was asking me some questions. He was listening to some shirim, some uh, uh, tapes of mine. And he called me up and I was talking to him. The guy, the guy, listen to this. It's, I know it's later, but it's in the tomb. He, he, he said to me, he said Balchuva. And he went and he and he said that he was thirty seven years old when he started he was working on Yiddishkeit, he was thirty seven years old. And he went to um, he wanted to learn. So he said he went to he went to the Yeshiva in Long Beach. He was a very harsh Yeshiva. He went to the Yeshiva and he, and he went to the Rashiva and he said to the Rashiva, I want I want to learn. And the Rashiva, you know, was very he said was very kind and very nice, but he said, well, I said, no, you, you know, you don't have any back, you don't have background. Well, I'm like, it's, a, it's a very advanced issue. How can I, you know, the... So, you know what he did, this guy? He's 37 years old, he had a PhD in psychology. He, he went to the ninth grade. He sat in the ninth grade for two years with the boys. He sat in the ninth grade. And he said, and the Rashiva used to learn with him privately. I tremendous their Harris for that. He was a nice for the Rosh Hashiva, for the Yeshiva boys, and for this, and for this, this, this doctor. Unbelievable nice. I said, you know, whoever heard such a thing could, on, on all sides, maybe Kiva would have, been, would have been accepted to Yeshiva. 
These are people who are unbelievable. Our greatest heroes have lived lives of change and truth-seeking. Where did my children come from? Yet you have, you have nowadays kids that they've been from for five, six years, but if they went once to a co-ed camp, then the seminary won't take the girl. Because they have on their record the stain of having gone. So the kids what's, what's my fault? My parents put me in a co-ed camp when I was eight years old, or ten years old. And X. I know my like this. I know, and I remember because Rav Palm said, before I called up the head of that seminary and said, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, it's going to be bitter for you in the next world. And, she, and, the, and the, the headmistress still didn't take the girl in. Rebus and David and BJJ took her in. She's now a very, very hush of a woman with a beautiful family. You know why? Because when she was in when she was in ninth grade or something like that, eighth or ninth grade, she went to Camp uh, Moshava, Marusha, one of the camps, and the lady wouldn't take her into the even though she was a from from Shiva, from the lady wouldn't take her into the into the seminary in Yerushalayim. Rebus and David took her. They they, they the seminary this lady and Rav Palm called up and said, "I'm warning you." And she said, this lady said, the story was, this lady said that she, that, that, that her husband called Rebbe Yashav and spoke to Rebbe Yashav and Rebbe Yashav said that they don't have to take her, they shouldn't take her. And then, and then Rav Palm called Rebbe Yashav and Rebbe Yashav says, what? What are you talking about? She became on her own. They said, Rebbe Yashav, that's the most chash of a girl. What? Is, and so, so, lying, right? Keeping the girl out. And Rav Palm, Rav Palm, uh, it's not a good thing. Rav Palm didn't usually say strong things. You know that. He was so gentle. He says such a strong thing. It's going to be good if you. So that this was, so then what, what's going to be? Why? Because she once went to a co-ed camp and was so so forced with the co-ed camp. Our greatest heroes have lived lives of change and truth-seeking, rejecting norms presented by the respective environments, and given Judaism, just let's finish this, takes a second, and given Judaism's emphasis on veracity, critical thought, self-awareness and growth. Isn't that what Yiddishkeit is all about? <coughs> self-awareness, growth, working things out. I view seeking as a very Jewish activity. What is seeking if not acquiring knowledge as the Torah understands it? The root ladas, yadoa, means not only to know, but also to be intimate relationship with the knowledge of experience of the heart. If the foregoing contention is, as I believe, incorrect, then adjusting somewhat our educational approaches may indeed benefit numerous students, including those who appear to be making reasonable progress, but in reality are not nourishing their inner worlds, just adapting well. Years later, some crisis or other event may trigger these students to reevaluate what they have been taught, middle-aged Orthodox Jews suddenly asking themselves who they really are, and discovering dreams or selves buried underneath piles of stale teachings. The danger is that they will look back at the yeshiva as the place where their needs pushed aside, they were molded to fit someone else's agenda. A few changes would thus make the yeshiva more effective for certain students in the long term and might alleviate some of the most destructive behaviors as we grant the wildest rebels greater understanding. Understanding is not synonymous with condoning. Of course not. You don't condone things against the Torah. And there's not a call to abandon discipline, but to help students rechannel energies. That's what we're talking about. And, and she goes on. I'll get you a mitzvah a copy of the entire article. But, but, but this, is, this, is the, this is what we're living with. That after these kids, these chavrah, are the ones that are that are that, that, that are driven most by spiritual seeking, and and they're being they're being turned away from the yeshiva, or they're being told that what they what they're looking for is what they're being looking for is 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 is, uh, is wrong, and it's not according to it's not according to our traditions, and so on and so forth. And and as a result of that, we have we have a huge problem on our hands. All right, Mitchum, we're going to continue we're going to continue uh, next Tuesday night. Mitchum, Shkai, thanks.